0: Good afternoon, everybody. This is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Once again, happy to be with you, the 18th day of January 2018, here to talk about baseball, sports, and unifying America. And I tell you, coming off of the show from yesterday, um, still have a little bit of venom and still have a little bit of momentum built off of what I was talking about yesterday. And you know, we are going to get into some other stuff. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL in a little bit. Hopefully we'll be joined by former NFL kicker Nick Lowry. And I just got to finish off of the points that I was making yesterday. You can talk about, in the NBA, the way it's set up with players that have almost feel like they have this sense of entitlement. Like they could go out there and they could tell the media whatever it is that they want to tell. And... Be able to almost whine and cry and be able to get their way. And what happened with the Cleveland Cavaliers, if you weren't listening yesterday, they a series of players got in, in touch with the media, whether the media was seeking them out, trying to bait them into coming up with an answer or a question that was set up to whether the Cavaliers, as constructed, do they have the ability to win an NBA championship, and they got a number of players to say no and published that as a story. And they published it as a story based off of these quote-unquote anonymous sources. So you allowed the players the opportunity, if they wanted to, to be able to say whatever it is that they wanted to and didn't have to put their name behind it. That by itself drives me crazy. The fact that somebody can make a comment or somebody can feel like they have the ability to make a comment and not have the balls to stand behind it and it's unfortunate but it's kind of the way things are now and if you listen to the program a couple weeks ago we were talking about the new generation and the new generation that's set up with a lot of younger people who didn't have discipline in regards to their parents and while parents did the best they could to show them the difference between right and wrong, there was no discipline involved. So they knew that they were not gonna be held accountable for their actions as they've grown into adults. And now as we follow the world of sports, this is a generation of children that are now playing on all our sports teams that have now flooded the likes of all our major professional sports. And because of that, there are certain sorts of ways that they are not being held accountable for anything that it is that they say or anything that it is that they do. It's obvious that we see the actions that they have. There's no accountability behind it, but now it's gotten a little bit further because the media has jumped in and enabled them to say anything that they want to and not have to put their name behind it. And I've said this a hundred times, and I'm going to continue to mention this on this program. The fact that any of us that have been college graduates, any of us that have even graduated high school, we're told when we're putting together a paper, we need to cite every single one of our sources, or else we're going to, number one, fail, or number two, we could possibly get expelled for not citing our own sources. But we have a a grand wave of the media today that makes more money than writers and talk show hosts and journalists have ever been paid before. But they don't have to cite their own sources. They can write a story based off of an anonymous source that we don't have to hold that person accountable for giving you any information. The other part of it that I didn't get into yesterday that bothers me is the fact that we have NBA basketball players right now, whether we're talking about this Cav story, that feel like if they want to, they could send a message to their owner, to their general manager, that they don't think the team is good enough as it is. And rather than talking to their coach, or talking to the general manager, or having a conversation with the owner, they feel they could use the media to tell the general manager and the owner what they want to tell them. So once again, we're talking about millennials. We're talking about people that are not held accountable for their actions. They've been baby their entire lives. They don't have the skills or the audacity that would take to have a professional conversation with another adult. So rather than deal with their problems... They're choosing to use the media who is enabling them. The media is allowing them to get their point out that they want to make to the front office that in this case, the Cavaliers need to make a trade. But nobody has put their name behind it. The media has given these players the platform to feel that they can say this, knowing that their names are going to be safe. They're not going to be attached to the story, but the message could still get out there that the general manager needs to make a trade. Uh, you know, we looking at society as it is, not just in the world of sports, but in America as we look at it, and there is such a lack of accountability for anybody that rather than call up somebody that you have to tell some bad news to, we could just send a text message. And sending a text message, let's be serious, is is not standing up to any of your problems. If you got a problem, you can't make it to work one day, you send a text message to your boss as opposed to calling your boss and standing up to the fact that your boss isn't going to be happy, that you're not going to be at work today. But we feel like we can send a text message now. But... The reporting the way it's set up and you figure reporters would be the ones they'd be the last line of defense to keep somebody from being able to not be held accountable for their own actions but the media is enabling this and it's something that is extremely, extremely frustrating and I don't think it's going to get any better I really don't and I, I hope at some point there's some level of whether it's parenting, whether it's teachers, whether it's people in our you know, elected offices, and I know we certainly can't trust, trust people that are in our elected offices, but where is accountability going to be taught in America today? And I tell you, I look at this Cavalier story, and there's so many issues that I have with it. Like I said, from the media, giving the players the forum to say whatever it is that they want and not tie their name to it. And the players who are who are essentially telling you that they've quit on the team that they have already. These are players that are going to look other players in the eye. And I hope, I hope the players that aren't that haven't spoken out are able to decipher within their own clubhouse and their own locker rooms the ones that did. And I hope they get treated differently. I hope they get looked out as being the outcast that they are. Because they don't belong playing on a team that's looking to win an NBA championship. They already said they don't believe in in their teammates. And I hope that at some point... This will grow to a point where these players will be called out and singled out for what it is they've said and done. And I'm sure the players don't even realize the extent of what they have said means to what they think about their own team. If I had a teammate like that that didn't think we had a chance to win whatsoever, I wouldn't want to play with that that teammate. I wouldn't want that player in a lineup sharing minutes with me. He's already quit. He can care less over what happens over the course of the season. I don't care if it was a message that he was trying to get to the general manager that they need to make a trade. The only trade they need to make is that player needs to go. That's the message you're getting out to the general manager is that general manager needs to trade you, which in the end is more the reason. For you to put your name behind the comments that you made. I've had enough with this this topic. But feel free if you want comment on the feed. Whether it's through Periscope, Facebook Live, On Demand, on YouTube. Uh, you can call the program if you want. 732-364-3598 um, Staying along this same topic by taking it to a different sport. The National Football League. Rumors are out there that the New York Giants are set to hire their next head football coach. And he is currently with the Minnesota Vikings, and that's Pat Shermer. And Mike Holmgren, uh, legendary coach. He's won a Super Bowl. Uh, Very well respected in the sport. Tried to throw a little bit of water on the possibility of Pat Shermer getting another head coaching job in the NFL saying that maybe he was too strict or didn't allow for the players around him to enjoy themselves enough. First of all, he was coaching in Cleveland. And if you're coaching the Cleveland Browns, I don't know how you could enjoy yourself. The team is so bad every year. You're given the most limited of resources The outlooks of your team every single year is bad. I don't know how you could expect somebody to treat it like it's Disney World. Number two, the New York Giants, as a coaching opportunity, the biggest part of that coaching responsibility is going to be to tame the clubhouse, tame the locker room. Did you not see the actions of Odell Beckham Jr. last year, before he got hurt. Did you not see the actions of at least three players in the Giants' secondary? Janoris Jenkins, Dominic Rogers, cromartie Eli Apple. If you're the head coach coming in there, those are problems that you're going to have to face head-on. And there's no way that you could face those problems head-on without enacting any sort of discipline. The Giants, and hopefully Dave Gettleman agrees with this, are looking for and need to find a coach that's first thing he's going to do is stand up and address the locker room issues that exist with the New York Giants. And Pat Shermer, if he has a history of not being the most smiley face, rosy eyed guy that will ever be an NFL head coach that could be nothing but a positive for the Giants I mean what they need to do is bring back another reincarnation of Tom Coughlin who went in there like a general pissed a lot of players off but those players ended up leaving and once those players left once the Tiki Barbers and the Jeremy Shockeys Any other similar players that couldn't handle Tom Coughlin's discipline left the Giants won two Super Bowls. And I don't know if they need to go through the same transformation. Obviously, it's going to start with probably a new quarterback, some new key faces to the franchise. There's going to be some players that have put up numbers for the Giants over the last several years that might end up moving on because of locker room issues. But i tell you, if the Giants hire a coach that's pretty similar to what I was talking about before in regards to the millennial lover, if he's hiring a guy that the first thing he says is, I'm going to make sure the players in his locker room know that I love him more than their parents do, that I love them more than anybody's ever going to love them in their life, that coach should be fired on the spot. Because that's the exact opposite of what they should be looking for. And if Dave Gettleman hires a coach like that, he needs to be fired on the spot. Football is a different game. It's different than baseball, per se, or basketball, or any other team sport. It's a man's game. And I understand we have a new generation of people that were not parented while they grew up. And were not shown any sort of discipline. And we're not held accountable for their actions. But it doesn't mean the leader, the coach, the person that is going to take the utmost blame for whether a team succeeds or not, cannot be tough on his players. We have not progressed to a generation where players should be babied. And especially when we're talking about football players. This isn't baseball. And you know I love baseball. Football is a man's game. There needs to be discipline. Players need to be held accountable for their actions. And if you're going to have a coach that wants to win over the locker room and be everybody's friend, it's a situation that will be destined for disaster. So if Pat Shermer ends up taking the New York Giants head coaching job, And isn't loved by the media? That shouldn't be his number one priority. And Mike Holmgren, with all due respect, you are wrong with this assessment. Because to be a successful NFL head coach, which you should know because you've been one, you have to have some sort of standards. There has to be some sort of disciplinary change players have to be held accountable for their actions. And if the Giants bring in somebody that isn't willing to get to the roots of those problems he's not going to last very long. And this team ain't going to get any better. For the Giants, the inmates were running the asylum. That's what cost Ben McAdoo his job. And his choice to have selective discipline as opposed to progressive discipline (coughs) <coughs> did him in. The fact that he decided to pick and choose the players that he was going to be tough on. Odell Beckham can make like he's defecating after scoring a touchdown, can end up doing whatever it is that he wanted to do and not be held to any sort of standards. But the if you're a defensive back, You're going to see the Lion come out and see how tough Ben McAdoo could be. That's where he lost the locker room. And of course his choice in the handling of the Eli Manning situation to end his consecutive game streak and start Geno Smith. Everybody was on board? Well, if everybody was on board, coach and general manager wouldn't have lost their job less than a week later. What's my thought on the Giants? Do I think that they are are trending in the right direction? They could. They have to ask themselves exactly what it is that they want to do in regards to the draft. Do they want to maybe bring in a veteran or a journeyman quarterback? Do they believe enough in Eli Manning? Do they want to draft one of these top quarterbacks with the number two overall pick? They have a chance to do some good things. I mean, having either Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen fall into your lap is not a bad thing. question is, are they going to let Eli Manning go, save the money in regards to salary cap? I know it's going to hit them a little bit initially, but they'll save a considerable amount of money and use that money to address other needs in a team. Maybe a guy like a Josh McCown or Nick Foles. Let's see how Nick Foles does in the AFC, in the NFC Championship game. If he plays well enough and either leads the, the Eagles to the Super Bowl or loses a close game against the Vikings, maybe he could be a guy to mentor your next quarterback. It, there's a lot for whoever this next coach is going to be to do. But the most important thing he needs to do is take on that locker room. And I don't know, are there enough men out there that are willing to be an NFL head coach and stand up to this generation's worth of players? Because it obviously isn't happening in the NBA. The one thing that's getting lost in the whole Cleveland Cavaliers situation is how much Tyron Lue has lost his own clubhouse, his own locker room. How come Tyronn Lue, the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, is not being held to any standard in regards to what his players are saying to the media if they're sneaking behind you know the announcement of their own name to media to the media saying that they don't think that this team is good enough to win an NBA title but they don't have to tie their name to it that is an indictment on the coach and the NFL, when you have players that were doing what they were doing, you know, in regards to the secondary of the New York Giants, DRC, Jackrabbit, Eli Apple, for those players quitting in some instances the way that they did, that's an indictment on the coach. And that was shown right out in front of anybody. We all saw how obvious that was and the result was the coach lost his job. What's going to happen with the Cavaliers? They have to at some point, I think, address their situation but the first person I'm going to trade is not going to be who I'm trading for. I'm going to trade that player or those players that are leaking stuff to the media. Those are the players that I want to get off my team and I don't care how good they are. The best way the Cavaliers can improve their chances of winning an NBA championship is to get rid of those players that are leaking stuff to the media. Or at the very least, taking the media's bait in regards to giving them answers that they want to hear. First things first, get those players out of here. And you know what, if those players are good enough talent-wise, maybe they can get not only better players that can perform on the court, but better players that aren't going to say the stupid stuff and take the bait of these wacky reporters that, by the way, are doing a half-assed job. When you rely on the majority of your reporting to be based off of anonymous sources, you're not doing your entire job as a reporter. And if you're touching on controversial enough topics... That means that you've got to work harder to get somebody to give you some information and stand enough behind their comments that they're willing to put their name behind it. Because you know what? When you put that article together, and rather than say anonymous players on the Cleveland Cavaliers, when you throw names out like Kevin Love and J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson, and what other ever names that they ended up getting? When you throw the names behind those comments, that is a story that you hit out of the park. That's a story that gets unlimited clicks. As a reporter, you've arrived. But you know what that takes? That takes more work than just saying, Hey, can you answer this question? I'll I'll, I'll promise to not put your name behind it. Reporters now are getting soft. And is, is it because we're dealing with the same generation? Same generation of kids that grew up that were not held accountable for their actions and babied and give, given whatever it is that they wanted? Reporting is going down the tubes now. I mean, you can't even trust whether or not you're reading a legitimate story. How many times, not just in the world of sports, but do you see a story completely contradicted by two different media entities that are all telling the same story as if it's fact? You know right off the bat, one of the stories can't be true. Because they they just reported the same story in the opposite way. If we're talking, let's say, black or white or life or death, one person could be reporting that somebody is dead. The other person could be reporting with the same confidence that that person is alive. One person is telling the truth and the other person isn't. But that's journalism today. Journalism is based more off of opinions now as it ever as it is facts. Listen, sometimes you're not going to be able to write a story that everybody's going to love. But in the older days of reporting, what you could respect about is at least you knew it was true. You may not like what you're seeing, but you knew it was based off of facts. Now somebody gets a job. They go through college. They get a job as a journalist. And it's all of a sudden about what they think about stuff. As opposed to reporting facts. And it's just its frustrating. It's frustrating to be a person that takes pride in reading. In information. If, I, if I'm clicking on a story and using it for my show i got to make sure that there's enough facts in it that I can go with it. You used to be able to go through your, your news site and say, all right, this is the meat and potatoes of exactly what happened. These are all facts. These are all things that definitely happened. And maybe at the end, maybe in a page down the road of the newspaper you're reading, you'd get opinions. And you'd understand, because it would say right on the top of it, opinions. People were well-respected com- columnists, and they were, their job was to give their opinion about a certain topic. Whether they wanted to talk about sports, whether they wanted to talk about politics, whether they wanted to talk about some sort of current event. They were able to spin their own opinion into it, but you understood that going in, and you said, I could agree with the opinion, or I could disagree with the opinion. But now we're having the opinion columns what we used to see in the older days of newspapers. We have the opinion columns right in with the top stories. And a top story is now somebody's opinion of what they think that they saw or an action, but their reaction off of what happened without any facts. I'm very disturbed with the direction I've seen our media go. And I don't know if it's the same thing to make, try to make people more, you know happier. Because there's a lot of bad stuff that's being reported in the news. All you have to do is turn the news on and your smile gets turned upside down. Because of everything that gets reported. All the fears. The worries that people have. You know, anything can happen. And there's so much hate out there. Everything is based off of hate and anger and frustration. And it's being directed in all types of different directions. I don't know where it has come from. And I don't know the reasons why reporting has gone in the direction that it has. But there's plenty of negativity that's out there that is an actual fact. So I don't understand why we've we've gotten to a point where we want to throw our opinions into facts. Yes, there is that time for it, time and place. The opinion column or the little sideshow that goes on after the reports are made. Hey, we got our our panel here. They're going to discuss their opinions on this topic. But now it's mixed too much in. And as you're following news, even as it pertains to the world of sports, and this is finally where I've jumped on and I feel the need to have to address this. Because it's impacting our sports world too. And lousy journalism, which we know has existed for years, is taking over To a point where you can't even get your information anymore. Does anybody need to read the story about the anonymous player or players or prominent players for the Cleveland Cavaliers that don't think they have the ability to win an NBA championship? Once again, it would have been a story if it was Tristan Thompson said this or J.R. Smith said this or Kevin Love said this or for some reason, LeBron James said that. If, if if somebody had the balls to put their name behind the report, it would have been a story. And, and you know, it could have, it could have, it could have gone in a better direction. Yeah, I will touch on a little bit baseball going on later on in the program. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the possibility of our offensive free agents finding themselves a home at some point. A couple days ago, we talked about the top free agent pitchers that are out there. We spoke about Jake Arrieta, uh, Hugh Darvish, Alex Cobb, and Lance Lynn. And I came up with four very distinct destinations where I feel as we hit the halfway point here on the Passball Show. Once again, this is John Pielli with you. We're talking a little bit of baseball as we get set for uh, an incoming guest. But as we finish the show today, we're going to talk a little more about the top free agent offensive players. And I think the word collusion has to be thrown out there. Now, I don't know if it's definitely going on, but I think there is some variation of collusion. Now, the collusion in baseball really starts from the overemphasis on analytics and sabermetrics. It has forced owners and general managers to realize, and this is going back to Billy Bean and Moneyball, that certain production which was costing a lot of money in Major League Baseball for a series of years, can be supplemented with players that are going to cost less. And it started over the last couple of years with relievers. You saw starting pitchers were going seven to eight innings, then down to seven, down to six now. If you could get five innings plus out of a starter, it's considered, uh, you know, the guy gets a pat on the back and is considered to have done his job. Relievers were costing less money than starters. So teams were flocking their bullpens with guys that were throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour. Not all these guys were costing a lot of money. Now, the demand has gone up for relief pitchers. The supply is getting a little bit lower. So these pitchers have been compensated a little more. And if you could say there's one facet of the free agent market in regards to Major League Baseball, this offseason that has gotten compensated it's relief pitchers and what we'll do is we'll put that on hold and we're happy to be joined by longtime NFL kicker Nick Lowry, Nick, John Pielli over in New Jersey. I appreciate you having a couple minutes. Hey, happy to, to join you. It's uh,
1: 71 degrees here. I always love to rub it in with my friends from the
0: East Coast. Well, you know, you know what we could actually do with that? We could we could try to Absorb the positive vibes over what good weather would be. And try to feel it with you, even though we're freezing our you-know-what's off.
1: Yeah, and we can also project the difference between the playoff game if the Cardinals uh, here in Phoenix were playing this weekend here versus, let's say, the Philadelphia Eagles against Minnesota. And as a kicker, trust me, uh, I know which one I'd prefer.
0: No, absolutely. And you know what? It'll lead me right into my first question. How much over the course of your career did you feel that weather played a role in your, your preparation and your overall performance on the field?
1: Well, what I try to do when I coach kickers, and also just the analogy is true for everyone in life, is whatever your skill set is, the more when you prepare and the more you realize doing your homework is the best thing because it. It helps your mind be able to focus when it's not necessarily so into it so that when it is motivated, it is emotional, it's absolutely present. So it builds that muscle. And, and the way you do that is not just visualizing, but it's also finding a way to develop that sort of sensory memory rehearsal, if you will. So you're, you're saying, I'm out here now, I'm playing, you know, the New York Jets or I'm playing the uh, – Denver Broncos, and it's windy, it's raining, it's muddy. Um, I hear the fans and their wonderful, sweet soliloquies, of course, calling out to me. Uh, I feel the wind, I feel the the weather itself. You build in that sense of rehearsal, and in your cellular memory, it makes it just that much more of an edge. And who doesn't realize now, Uh, To me, it's even more obvious when you watch how difficult it is to make a call in slow motion with a replay. Who doesn't think that the NFL is decided by inches, decided by the Kansas City Chiefs where a pass from Marcus Mariota gets blocked and comes back to him. It gets decided when Minnesota is throwing the last ditch pass of the game and the safety decides that he run too far and he ducks his head rather than not, and that simple split-second decision changes the complete outcome of the game and the playoffs and, and who might be there in the Super Bowl. You know, so every single little thing gives you that edge, and competition being what it is, one of the reasons why the NFL is so popular, despite what people might say, it's still three times more popular than baseball or basketball, and it's because it's so
0: darn competitive. Now, absolutely. We're joined by former NFL kicker Nick Lowry. Now, when you when you first played, were there were there any dome stadiums at that point?
1: Uh, you know, I, I played '78, and uh,
0: Houston was a dome stadium. Okay. You know, I, I know New Orleans was
1: built somewhere in that area of that time slot. Detroit, um, but there weren't too many. And uh, Indianapolis then came along, and Atlanta came along. Um, but in my career percentages, like anybody else's, was that much better. I, I never quite understood why, after kicking four field goals, three of which were 50 yards or better, um, in the opening game of the 85 season, actually it was 48-52-52, and, and a 36-yarder in the first 19-20 minutes of the game, of the opening game in New Orleans in 1985, why I never got to play in New Orleans again. It would have been... Uh, a lot easier to kick there and uh those players that do it just like anything if you you miss a big kick uh, and you don't know if it was the wind or you you can question yourself a golfer has to deal with that so a lot of what you do as a kicker is the mental side and making sure you've done everything to prepare yourself and just focus on what you can control that's that's the challenge
0: now I, I tell you, you, you touched on something that certainly has a lot to do with it. The you know the mental preparation and the fact that, you know what you're doing is is just is such a game of inches by itself. the the slight the slightest change or something that comes out of the ordinary to what you're used to doing, can impact your ability to kick the ball, whether it's length or accuracy or shooting for two for two uprights, and if you're just off a little bit. You know, talk talk a little bit about how much that means to every single kick.
1: Well, you know, once again, you prepare for everything you can can control. So if you can somehow get to that place where you know you've done the best you can, then also admit to yourself that no matter how perfect your preparation is, you're still going to miss some. Yeah, of course. And that's called being human. And I'll never forget Coach Townsend who is defensive line coach at Dartmouth College he's an African American coach up there in, in, in almost lily white in Hanover, New Hampshire we had a guy named uh, uh, Reggie Williams who went on to play 13 years an incredible player with the Cincinnati Bengals but you know he, he really was uh, very helpful to me before my junior year because he said Nick I want you to know something just the funniest counterintuitive advice he ever gave me he said I know you're going to miss I know you're going to miss he said but don't worry about it you just do the best you can and no matter how good you you are you're eventually going to don't worry about that we all know you're you're darn good and we're lucky to have you so what irony um from that is that that year i actually was one of the first kickers ever to not miss i did <laughs> I made all 28 extra points and and all my field goals and um you know i think if you give yourself permission to just be the best you can be and know that no matter what you do, sometimes you'll miss, you can actually be better because you're not holding back. That's, I think, what happens with people. They try to hold back a moment to be a little bit more precise, a little bit more careful. And the part of their brain that reacts with absolute nanosecond efficiency, it's, you know, the part that's connected to that, that really elusive notion of flow, that part is not conscious. It's not self-conscious. So you have to just let it go and do it. A good pitcher, uh, a, a you know, skinny guy that can hit 130 mile an hour serve. You know, those are things where you have to trust that incredible innate uh, flow and sequence of muscles for each motion, whether it's hitting a golf ball or a baseball or shooting a basketball. I mean, what is Stefan um, done, that he can hit a 30-foot three-point shot with with an accuracy no one ever thought of could be done, and yet he can over and over. Why is that? And that's somehow that he's been able to practice, so he's in that flow where he doesn't worry too much about it. He listens to that, that kinesthetic rehearsal that he's done. Whatever he's done, he's managed to build into his natural practicing so that he he maximizes that cellular memory. Maybe I'm getting too deep here, but I think there are some levels of achievement we can get to, but we have to look at practice and homework as just as important.
0: And Once again, John Pielli joined by former NFL kicker Nick Lowry from 1978 to 1996 with the Patriots, Chiefs, and jets. I tell you, the mental aspect that you're talking about, yeah, you, know, you see a lot of kickers nowadays, and you know, I'm sure it happened in the days that that you were playing as well, can be so accurate for a while, and at some point miss one kick. And like you said, every kicker is going to miss one, and that was something that I'm sure was important for you, you know, when you heard that for the first time. But you know, how how would you explain somebody that does from a mental standpoint? allow a previous miss to impact them going forward. Well, you know, that is part of human nature.
1: In other words, uh, my friend Tony Robbins, who definitely helped me when I used his tapes back in 1990, went on to lead the NFL in scoring. And kick 24 straight field goals in 90, 21 straight 91, 22 for 24 in and 92, and, you know, Pro Bowls, and you know, he is very clear about what's called neuroassociative programming, which is, you know, one of the basics of how we guide ourselves into a more positive state is to realize that we got here, uh, even as a baby to some degree, because of the reference we had to something that felt intense and we looked around and we noticed what happened when that intense emotion happened. And hopefully most of the time, and with repetition, the right association to what really caused it took place. But almost all of us have some misassociations. And of course, what is more intense than, than a missed goal? It, it's the worst feeling in the world. It's really a great motivation to not have that feeling again. But what happens, and I had a feeling this would happen with Blair Walsh for Seattle because he'd missed that field goal in horrible cold conditions from Minnesota a few years ago. And now he's playing for Seattle with Mr. Positive, my former head coach, Pete Carroll, who I think really thought he could help him, and he did to some degree. But then that emotional state, that level of fear, that level of pressure, had not been approximate to the exact same pressure that he felt during that freezing cold game in the outdoor stadium in Minnesota, when he missed the kick, and so you have to do the reference to to answer your question to get that old memory, that destructive old memory, that something really bad is going to happen because this pressure. I remember this pressure from before, and something bad happened before, and so you look for it and you almost expect it. So you have to do uh, exercises that reverse and confuse your cellular memory so that when, it, when those moments happen again, that thing doesn't spring to your mind. And, and, and obviously, the more times you're successful, the more it comes back in a good way. But you've got to rehearse that, and you've got to rehearse it by putting some level, what I call healthy, as opposed to neurotic pressure on yourself, in practice. Now when I did, a, I did a show called Head Games Radio every day for three years on, on uh, uh, Sirius Satellite. And um, I talked to Bart Connor and some people who had perfect 10s in, in gymnastics and, you know, great golfers. And, and there was some level of consistency in what they said, which was, if I don't make practice like a game, I can't turn on that mountain, that cellular memory when I'm in the game. I'm just back at practice. So I relax and trust that flow, trust being aggressive and assertive. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of talkative today, so I'm just going to uh, – close that sentence with the last few years of my career, I would say to myself, as I'm approaching the kick, the ball snapped back eight yards, caught, put down, spun, and kicked in 1.25 seconds. It's actually not spinning for one-tenth of a second while you're moving towards the ball. Wow. What's going through your head in that split second is, is everything. You could have made a 1,000 straight kicks from 25 yards or 35 yards or whatever. doesn't matter you got to have that triggering thing just to be relaxed and react. So I would say to myself, left foot, because I was a right foot kicker, so I'd plant my left foot right at the target, make sure I kept my head down, and then I'd say, explode. And that seemed to work for me better than anything had before because explode to me meant be aggressive. Don't try to kill the ball, but attack the ball. It's when you're being too careful that other muscles the groups get in the way. And your natural, fastest, natural power, and when, when you hit the ball, you hit it, you strike it, it fights the wind better, too. And when the ball is uh, going at its maximum speed, that you can hit it, it won't slow down or be pushed right or left by the wind quite so much because it's going faster and harder and truer. But if you're holding back a little bit, Then instead of the ball being pushed maybe at 35 or 40 yards, as it begins to, let's say, go into a 20-mile-an-hour wind and you're in Philadelphia, like what's going to happen this weekend, maybe it starts to be pushed at 30 yards. Instead of being pushed 5 yards, it's pushed literally 10 yards right or left. So those are little things that add up to big things for a career because every kicker will look back and say, God, (laughs) if I had this one kick back, you know? Of course. Um, and that's true for a lot of players, you know. Uh, think about that safety for, for minute, for uh, for New Orleans. And at 21 years old, he has a long career ahead of him. But his biggest job of his entire life will be to put that mistake behind him, and uh, and keep doing what he knows he can do. Yeah,
0: and hopefully, you know, he's he's got a, a, a long opportunity to play, and his future does look pretty bright. So there's a good chance that he'll be, be able to. To, to, to do something about it, and that's what's uh, great about sports, you know, the, the chance and the opportunity that exists that you could have a moment like that and then, you know, turn, turn the card the other way. And well,
1: that's what he's going to have to do, and he's going to have to have a way for um, to confront that memory way before it happens again, so it doesn't keep repeating itself, because he's, you know, he's a talented guy, and it's pretty rare you have a 21-year-old you know, playing safety, playing center field. Um, but anyway, all of us have those moments that hold us back or get out of the way that allow us to take our lives to a new level and so it's a daily thing. It's a daily um, intentionality. Um, I'm actually featured in a movie now called Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy. And we're doing a big event in March in um, Atlanta with 14 people, including myself. And I'm really excited about it because these processes, particularly starting with what the kicker has to know, which is how to focus those things, what we choose to focus on, are the crucial things in life. You know, hopefully we align our focus with things that we love doing. We love doing. Maybe it's, you know, doing a radio show every day with somebody interesting. Maybe it's writing something that no one else has expressed before, or painting, or maybe it's just helping a homeless person and doing it on a regular basis. But those things fill us up, and, and that's what keeps life fresh and full of, full of positive energy and the sense that we're growing. And that's, that's my passion today.
0: Now that's fantastic, and once again, we're joined by Nick Lowry. I just want to hit you up with two more questions, and I appreciate you having the time. It's been been great chatting with you. Um, you know, going going back when you were younger, um, was being a a place kicker in a a you know, major sport like football something that you desired, or was it something that kind of came to you through playing other sports or even playing football? Well, one
1: of the things that's happening in sports today, every Friday I used to do that show with Fred Eng from the National Alliance for Esports. Sports. We talked about how back back in 10 years ago, it's even more so true today, that kids are being forced to be sort of mini-professional athletes because of the money and the pressure and the, also the expense of you know, going to college. And what I was lucky enough to be able to do was to play lots of different sports. I was played tons of soccer. My dad was literally the chief of station for the CIA way back during the 60s wow. in London. And I played soccer when England won the World Cup. And then I played cricket and I played rugby and I, and I played these different sports. I swam. And then I played a lot of basketball. And I played a lot of baseball. I actually played college um Baseball and football. And I knew I had the ability to, as MVP of my high school team twice, we would beat champions. I had a 1.0 under an average as a freshman on the freshman team at Dartmouth. And uh, I thought I had a chance to play baseball. But what I loved about pitching, but also kicking, was how important the mental side was, thinking the batter, you know, being focused being you know, totally on the same wavelength with your catcher, being alert, dictating the action, and also being on an emotional island as a kicker and looking at that office out in the middle of the field and managing that. And I think that's what gave me an edge and allowed me to not give up when John I was, you know, cut by to eleven different tryouts and rejections, but then tried that twelfth time. And if I hadn't tried that twelfth time I wouldn't have played additional 17 years played with the Patriots for two games wasn't quite ready won both games missed one field goal that was enough but then I came back and kept learning and I think when you combine focus with passion and persistence. Those two Ps are so incredibly important. It's amazing how, when you can be bad at something, if you stick with it, you can become pretty darn good. It's true for a lot of the great actors out there. Clint Eastwood, who I think was in Hollywood for like 17 years, finally gets discovered. And I think most people would say he's done a pretty good job with what he's done. Persistence with everything we do allows us to, it's that theory of 10,000 hours, you know? To love the craftsmanship. So, anyway, I I love the work I do today because I found a new passion, which is helping people find their purpose. And and for me, it's whether it's working with the homeless or the native youth or anti-bullying programs or, in particular, reducing concussions right now in football and sports. um, All those things are meaningful. They stir my passion, and uh, and I know they make a difference. So it's very fulfilling.
0: No, absolutely man and last last question I got to ask you, Nick, the NFL over the last couple of years moved back the extra point um how do you How do you feel about that, and how would you have reacted if they did that while you were still playing?
1: Well, you know what actually boomer Sison talked about it uh briefly on uh inside the NFL because we were teammates for two years and he took good care of me. If he's listening, thanks, Boomer. And, uh, you know, when I was there with the, with the Jets, even though uh, we had some ups and downs there, but um, what I would have done is I would have at first been, you know, like every other kicker said, "Oh, there's even more pressure on us, right? It's a 33-yard field goal, not a 20-yard field goal, essentially. But then after a couple of days, or maybe sooner, I would have thought, you know, I have the highest percentage in the history of the National Football League from 33 yards. I was like 97%, whereas the average was like 92%. So then if you do the arithmetic, 5% is, I would miss one out of 20 less, you know? So, you know, every season there'd be one extra point I would not miss that the other team might miss. So I'd give my team an edge. And so I just have to keep doing my job and over the long haul. I'd, get, I'd keep giving my team that extra edge. And one interesting thing is that, that I'm sure we can prove it in chaos theory is how often does that one little extra point favor, you know, and can play out in the outcome of the game itself a lot more often than you'd think, you know, in the strategy, et cetera. So it's an important thing. I think it was needed, and I think it's made the game better. And it, it's definitely going to be an issue in the Cold War games this weekend.
0: No absolutely, and I tell you you look at it from a lot of different perspectives. you mentioned the one point that could be a difference. I mean for years upon years when the extra point became almost a formality. Now it's something that you know a, a team has to earn, and it's not just the kicker, it's the entire team that's in, you know involved in putting that together, the blocking the you know the snap, the hold, and the fact that it is a little bit more distance, so it does add to the excitement of the game absolutely.
1: Yep, it it does. And, you know, I'm kind of excited. I think it's really neat that four teams are in it. Obviously, the Patriots are much more experienced than Tom Brady than anybody else. But you've got three quarterbacks, you know, and teams that haven't had a chance for a very long time. And I think it's awesome. And and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I think Jacksonville has a real shot of beating New England. As hard as everybody thinks it is. everything going against them there's something magical about Jacksonville the toughness they have as a team and likewise I think both Philly and Minnesota are very good teams I mean Minnesota they both have incredible defenses when you have a great defense you're always going to be in the game so um I think these are four teams that deserve to be there. I wish my Chiefs were there. Frankly, if our defense had played a little better and if we had been a little bit more aggressive in our play calling in the second half when we were up 21-3 to three going into the second half, maybe we'd still be there. But um, in the end, the NFL is still an awesome sport, and uh, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen this weekend.
0: Hey, Nick, before I let you go, anything that you're looking to promote in regards to what you're doing now that do you'd like to get the word out about?
1: Absolutely. So, Catalyze Sciences uh, is doing the research and has the only license for the research of the patent by uh, Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Julius Axelrod, to uh, use CBDs, which are derived from hemp, from cannabis, not marijuana, and those are legal in all 50 states per the Ninth Circuit decision. 2003. contrary to a lot of disinformation out there, and those things are severely successful in helping what's called neuroplasticity and even neurogenesis according, according to Stanford University, UCLA Torrance, the Salk Institute, Dr. David Schubert, uh, a lot of evidence that we can make the cells in the brain more um, neuro, what's called neuroplastic. That means they are more resilient to impact and we can actually even perhaps regenerate cellular tissue in the brain, which will impact, as Stanford says, both Alzheimer's and dementia. Wow. And if you look at what's happened with Alzheimer's dementia, the explosion of it in the last fifty, sixty, seventy years—it's a pretty important thing on top of what we know about concussions
0: now. Wow! I tell you, I mean, that, that has a chance to really make a difference, and I, I, that's uh, outstanding work. And uh, you know, hopefully. Yeah, we continue to make the right strides to get where we need to get to with that. Nick, I really appreciate you having the time. It was great getting a chance to chat with you. You bet, John. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Sounds good. All right, that was Nick Lowry, former NFL kicker, and I tell you, you know, he's he's working on some uh you know, some really important things. So you just look up, you know, Nick Lowry and what he's doing and you can find I mean there's you know, through, you know, cannabis. Uh, I mean, the fact that there's a possibility that that could help cure Alzheimer's or, you know, release some of the symptoms that we have that people have to deal with in regards to dementia. It's outstanding. And, uh, you know, great job by Nick joining. And not only that, he gave me me a little insight on the, uh, you know, the upcoming playoff games, which we're going to get into tomorrow on the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. We'll, we'll do tomorrow football previews. Pielli's picks will be back, uh, AFC and NFC Championship version. Um, if you missed my Pielli's picks from yesterday, we did the uh, top four free agent pitchers. Uh, Hugh Darvish, Jake Arrieta, Alex Cobb, and Lance Lynn. So you can stay tuned, whether it's through Periscope, Facebook Live, or YouTube On Demand figure out exactly where I got players going, and we'll talk a little bit about Pelli's picks and where we stand for the year and the history of the past ball Shop. Be back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow we're not going to be on until 8 o'clock, so we're going to try Friday night 8 to 9, so lots of stuff we're going to get into there. Like I said, Pelli's picks, um, get you set for the weekend of the National Football League playoff games. Uh, NBA basketball going on. Maybe I'll rant a little more about the Cavaliers players that decide to say whatever it is that they want, but know that they got the freedom of their names being held without it. In the NFL, do we need a head coach that's going to enact a little more discipline than we've seen in a generation of players that feel that they should be held to no accountability? They're not responsible for their own actions. ton of stuff. To get into tomorrow. So we'll be back with you. Like I said. 8 o'clock tomorrow evening. 8 to 9. Uh, God bless you. And as always. I'll see you. On the other side.